You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. It's good to be back with you here again today and after the mask mandate and we're here live and think about Jeremiah. We're almost done with Jeremiah. Next Sunday will be, our next sermon series will be from the book of James if you want to get ahead Uh, You can start reading and meditating on that troubling book because we've been thinking about faithful living in troubled times and James is going to continue the same kinds of things except bringing Jesus into the picture. So Jeremiah, when I think about what's happening right now, who is not aware of what's happening right now in Ukraine? And for me, this is really quite personal because I've, I've taught in Odessa a number of times in Ukraine, South Ukraine, but I've also taught in Krasnodar, Russia. And I have Russian-Ukrainian friends in both those places and other parts of the countries, and I think about the impact on the lives of these ordinary people, and it just breaks my heart. The war, I mean, it's a whole different thing, and it keeps going, and there's all kinds of stuff behind it, and we pray for that, and, I mean, you see the pictures. Ordinary people who tanks unleash on their buildings and... I'd rather be a dad with your son and look at your apartment back there. Or be families looking into where you tried to put life together in a Stalin apartment and the missile comes and, and you go into your home and it looks like this. This is actually a little bit like what we're talking about from the book of Jeremiah with the invading army coming in and devastating things. Just horror pictures. And the thing that strikes me is this. I was just talking with John Markey, he's one of my students. He's lived his entire life in Ukraine. He's in Hungary right now helping refugees. But he's telling me stories of people who are trapped in Ukraine and there's literally nothing to be had in the way of food. Think of your, as he told us the story, a mom with an infant and there's no infant formula available anywhere. And the stress is so high that she is no longer producing breast milk. And they're trying to feed their infant on anything they can get hands on. And they go to, if they go to the store, this is what you see. There are nearly three million refugees now. Three million refugees. Mostly, many of them Poland, about two million in Poland. This is from a picture from Wrocław, Poland. Joel and Renata Burnell, long, long-time friends. They've been in our church, World Venture. Uh, Doug and Ruth Hazen started with World Venture. And if some of you want to help with the refugee issues, I'd suggest you connect in with World Venture. We've got a long partnership with them. Crew also has stuff going on where they're actually helping refugees. There are a lot of scams coming out right now that want your money and it will never go to the real people. The stuff you send to World Venture crew will go directly to help refugees in Poland and Hungary and Latvia and other countries like that. And, and I think we should step up because this, this is their life now in a country they've never been, where they don't speak the language, in many cases, and the churches are stepping up big time. Evangelist opportunities are incredible, but it's a, it's a heartbreaking situation. We're only three weeks into this war and no end in sight. Let's pray. Father, we can't but pray for fellow believers in that part of the world who are impacted by this terrible war. And we just pray that you'd bring people to their senses, 
the ones who are doing this to bring an end to this. Uh, Lord, I don't see any exit points, but you do, and I pray that you do that. But I think of those folk who are now refugees in countries, lives upside down, mostly women and children because their husbands are not allowed to leave the Ukraine for those husbands who are there and being fighting. Uh, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And we think of people around the world who are saying, how can I help? And Lord, that's your agenda, and we want to join in that. Grant us as we pray. For the enemy says there's power has no impact. We reject that voice with everything we are. Lord, bring your power and your grace and your mercy into that part of the world. In all the world, we pray in Jesus' name. We want to think about Jeremiah. We're in Jeremiah 29 today. Next, the last sermon in Jeremiah. Next week, we'll have... Uh, a little break. We'll have uh, Luke Cirillo and Larry Gadba will be here talking about uh, what's happening with sanctity of life and what we're doing in our country around that. It's going to be amazing. Jeremiah 29 is one of those, this is the hope passage. It begins. We've been talking about the hardship that's been going on, but Jeremiah now is sending a letter to people who are in exile. They're the refugees, except they've been taken captive and they're slaves. And he says this, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah set from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the other people in Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses. Settle down. Plant gardens. Eat what they produce. Marry. Have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they may too have sons and daughters. Increase in numbers there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found for it by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This is the word of the Lord, and you respond, thanks be unto God. There's much to ponder here. We've seen Jeremiah go through torture, betrayal by his family, imprisonment, stocks, humiliation, thrown into a muddy cistern, sinking into the mud about a thing and nearly starving. I mean, it's, it's horror he's going through. And still he portrays this to the people who are in exile. Settle down. 
build houses, have children. And what we see here is this outline, by the way, is from Christopher Wright. I just used his outline because it's incredible, and he's a, a commentator in Jeremiah. It's a surprising perspective because of refugees and exiles, and they're thinking, especially Hananiah the prophet, we'll be back in a couple of years. And he's saying, no, 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 you won't be. But the perspective difference, you're, he's not seeing as refugees in Babylon, he's seeing them now as residents of Babylon. See, it's a change of perspective that Jeremiah is telling by the name of the Lord. Change your perspective, he's saying. And what we see happening here, now this is different news reports. If you're reading the Babylon Times, and it's talking about what's happened, how's the Babylon Times going to interpret what's just happened? Well, it'll look like this. Marduk and his great king Nebuchadnezzar destroy the rebellious Judah Humiliate their God, Yahweh. That's what you see in the Babylon times. That's the interpretation of what's happened. Now, it's not the only interpretation. There's another group that I just call the Realist Report. And the Realist Report are deconstructing Judahites. And this is what they're saying. We believed God when he told us, if you say the Lord is my refuge, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. We believed him. <laughs> he didn't keep his promise. We're done with him. We're going to worship and serve another God. That's the deconstruction that's a part of our society today. It happened in Jeremiah's day too. There was another crowd. This is a Hananiah prophetic report. He's in the previous chapter. I'm being a little facetious here. We're Yahweh's special people. He will rescue the temple vessels and the captives within two years and we'll be home. Just trust the Lord. Well, but see, there's fact-checking. <laughs> you get your favorite fact-checking site, don't you? This is from Jeremiah 36. Because Jeremiah had Baruch write down the word of the Lord and take it to the king, and when Jehuda had read three or four columns of the scroll that Baruch had written, the king cut them up with a scribe's knife and threw them into the fire pot, and the entire scroll was burned in the fire. See, that's the facts. The word of the Lord had come, and instead of being, their hearts being cut by the word of the Lord and repenting, they cut up the word of the Lord and burnt it. So Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, we have perished, we have persisted in our ungodliness and wickedness so long that Yahweh, our compassionate, gracious, slow anger God, is finally punishing us in hopes of bringing us to our senses and the full blessing of his plan. See, very different interpretations. And Jeremiah's interpretation of the facts of exile. Yahweh called Abram from Babylon into the land and rescued them from slavery in Egypt, now sends them back to exile and enslavement in Babylon. Why are they there? Because they have repeatedly, completely rejected the call of Yahweh to live the life of righteous people. And finally, he's saying, okay, judgment is coming. That's why they're there. And because it's Yahweh who has sent them back, he's saying, take a different perspective. And that different perspective is this. Change your perspective from refugees, enslavement, to residents, 
So trust and live Yahweh's narrative faithfully in both lament and joy. What's the lament? We're in the shores of Babylon. What's the lament? We're enslaved and living extremely hard lives. What's the joy? God is with us. He has not given up on us. His promise has not failed. I have been much taken since I first saw it happen. America got talent with Nightbird. I don't know if you saw that when it was out on the web when she was doing the thing here about 18 months ago. But when she did her thing, she had Simon Cowell in tears because she talked about her cancer. Fervent Christian woman, graduate of Liberty University. And what she did on that stage, I mean, go watch it on YouTube. It is phenomenal. This woman with cancer, it's third time around, it's spread. She just died here about 10 days ago. If you go to my blog site where I'm doing my cancer updates, brochures.net, I've got some links to things there. She turned that place upside down with joy. And her phrase, that's what the people should be singing, is this. You can't wait until life isn't hard before you decide to be happy. You don't deny the hardness. There's lament. It's real. The hardness is real. I think about the refugees in Poland and Hungary from Ukraine. It's hard. But see, if you have God's perspective, it's not only hard. There's joy to be found, but you have to look for it. I watched Nightbird's funeral, much of it, and saw the praise of Jesus that came out, but also lament in the hardness. See, that's the mix is when you change the Yahweh's perspective. There's lament and joy. Genesis 1 gives a call to the people of God that he just created. And he said, go out, be fruitful, increase the number, fill the earth and subdue it. And what Jeremiah is saying to the people is fulfill the Genesis mandate. Don't hunker down and wait for two years. Plant gardens, eat the food, marry, make babies, raise them to be God-fearing adults. Continue that mandate, but in Babylon for 70 years. I mean, that's, I'm 75. That's my whole life lived in Babylon, but under God. So have families, gardens, live, be residents, but it's in exile, and you lament the exile. But if you have God's perspective, you say we're here because of our sin. You're like Daniel and Nehemiah. You repent and you, you confess the sin that we did. A, a second point is this. Now, this is too much. This is too much. Think of the Ukrainians, where the Russian forces are shelling maternity hospitals and things like that. I mean, you've seen the pictures if you follow the news. And this is what he says. Pray for the peace and prosperity of Moscow. And you're a Ukrainian, starving to death in Kiev. Do you do that? Can you do that? That's what he says to do. Pray for the peace and prosperity of the city, he says. Now, this is a surprising mission because, again, it's a change of perspective. You're changing from mourners trapped on the banks of the river there in Babylon to missionaries. 
changes from mourners to missionary because you understand who you are and you understand how God is using you. And he says, pray for the peace of the city. That's crazy making, isn't it? But see what happens. This is Genesis chapter 12. When God calls Abram from Babylon and says, go to the land, Israel, and there you will, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. What he's asking them to do is continue that and take the Abrahamic blessing to the evil nation. Not denying the evil of Babylon at all. But taking that Abrahamic blessing there and becoming a blessing people in the midst of the evil nation. This has relevance to us today too, of course, obviously. Seek the peace and prosperity of the evil city that has killed your relatives, starved your babies to death, and dragged you off into slavery. Are you kidding me? But it's worse yet. Be a faithful people of Yahweh. Because for so many, they're blaming Yahweh. You let us down. We believed you and you didn't protect us. Well, no, actually, he had a wonderful plan, and you opted out of it repeatedly. But serve the city that has taken you into slavery and destroyed your home. Do you pray for Jerusalem when you're living in Babylon? The answer is, of course you do. Of course you do. But when you're living in Babylon, do you pray for Babylon? Remember in an earlier sermon, we were told how God told Jeremiah, do not pray for Jerusalem because the time of judgment is here. Now he tells the people, pray for Babylon. Now God's told us that the judgment will come on Babylon. It's not like they're going to get a pass. They're not. But pray for Babylon? You're a Ukrainian living in a Sunday school room in a church in Wrocław, Poland. Your home is destroyed. Relatives are dead. You know, have no idea if, when or ever we'll go back. And you pray for Moscow? But see, part of what's happening here, again, Jeremiah reminds us what's going on. Jeremiah reminds us this is what the Lord says, 70 years and you'll come back. But this, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you. Now, in fact, that particular thing often comes out like this. Oh, just believe in the Lord. Everything will be peachy keen. You'll, be, you'll have 16 cups of coffee every day. You know, and no end to what your favorite goodie is. See, it's not that. Because this promise comes in the midst of exile. And if you know that God has good plans and you're in exile because you've opted out of his plans, but he's not given up from you, it changes your perspective. Instead of being a sentimental, happy face post, it's a reality of what God is doing when you're in impossible times. So it's a surprising future. You're in Babylon, and he said you're going to be there seven years. For most people, it means you're going to die in Babylon. And for many, it means your children are going to die in Babylon. The future is, you're not victims. If you understand God is using you, you're not victims. You're actually visionary. 
See, and this is when you get God's plan for what he's doing and how he's going to use me in the most difficult of circumstances. And you understand the Lord your God is a merciful God. A merciful God who works his good plan, but he's working his good plan because you've opted out of that plan again and again and again. He works his good plan in the midst of his judgment on our sin and the evil of exile. God has not given up on his people. God has not given up on the Ukrainian people today. God has not given up on the Russian people today. God has not given up on the people of the United States today. He has a wonderful plan, a beautiful plan, a good plan to prosper and not harm. But there's a responsibility on our side. We have to opt into the plan. We have to call, come, pray, and we'll find him. But see, what's happening to the people of Judah was they were not coming and calling. They were not seeking him with all of their hearts when they're in Judah. The question is, will they do that in Babylon? And see, many of those same questions impact us today. Because frankly, we are living as the Christian church in many ways in an exile here in the United States. Now, we're not like Ukrainians living in Poland. But we're people living in a country that's, in many ways, become anti-Christian in many places. When I was a kid, the church was looked at as a helpful organization. Now it's often portrayed as a bigoted, oppressive organization by the voices of culture. So I want to think about Jesus' followers, for Jesus' seekers, because not all of you are Jesus' followers yet. Many of you are. What's this say for us? One thing is this. Human kingdoms, all of them, have both beautiful and beastly aspects. All of them. There is no human kingdom until the millennium that is only beautiful. There is no human kingdom that is only beastly. There are many amazing things to the Russian nation. Some of the artistic stuff is unmatched in the world. But what you're seeing right now in the news media, on the whole, is demonizing the Russian culture. See, that's not fair. That's not fair. Oh, they're doing some beastly things, without a doubt, invading Ukraine, for sure. But there's beauty in what's happening in Russia, too. And Ukraine is not a, only a beautiful place. There's also beastly stuff there, and there's incredible levels of corruption there. The other thing to remember is this. Human kingdoms can neither save nor destroy the people of God. Now, depending on what side of the politics you are, you may be looking to human kingdoms to save the church. As you're going to say, no, 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 no. But that... It's, that's the thing. We're living in ambiguity, and we like simplicity, just like the people of Judah, and that doesn't come that way. We've been thinking about this as preaching team and elders, and I'd like to suggest to you that the United States of America today uh, is not an essential part of God's redemptive plan and never has been. 
There is a strong component in our society today that the success of God's plan depends on the success of the America as a country, and there's all kinds of political stuff going along with that. I'd like to suggest to you that the United States of America is not an essential part of God's redemptive plan. God's plan will go whether or not the United States continues as a nation or not. God's, uh, you know, it's ironic. I've been reading uh, the biography by David McCullough of John Adams, a pres- early president of the United States and central to the Declaration of Independence. The two men who were primarily responsible for the Declaration of Independence was Thomas Jefferson, a deist who cut up the Bible, like the king of Judah, and John Adams, a fervent, deep Christian. Thomas Jefferson, slave owner and promoted slavery. Thomas, uh, Sam, uh, John Adams, anti-slavery at every level. And these two men, one a deist, one who cut up the Bible, one a Christian who loved the Bible, are the two founders of our nation. And the Constitution says the United States, uh, the first uh, of the rights, says that the United States will never establish a religion. The United States is not a Christian nation. By constitutional, and I think by wisdom, you go back to the Revolutionary War, Britain was a, cons- a Christian nation. Its official religion was Christendom. And here's the irony. When you look at Russia today, and if you follow the news closely, you'll see it. Vladimir Putin and Patriarch Kirill, the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church, are right together. And in much of Russia... Vladimir Putin is looked at the savior of the Russian Orthodox Church, is looked at the savior of Christendom because he is protecting Christendom from the decadence of the West. The narrative that's going on in Russia, and it's not hard to find, you can go read the Moscow Times anytime you want. A primary motive that's going on right now to motivate that war is the Christian narrative, the Christian national narrative of Russia that Vladimir Putin and Bishop Kirill, or Patriarch Kirill, are saving Christendom from the decadence and the sin of America. And the war in Ukraine is to pull, is to rescue the Ukraine from the pull of the decadent West. Now it's easier to see, you think, that's nuts! It's harder to see when we do the same kind of thing about the United States. I support our country. I believe there's a valid patriotism, and I am one of those. I'm glad for our country in many parts of it, but it has both beautiful and beastly aspects. And we need to be real. We cannot tie the fate of Christendom to the fate of the United States. We cannot, we cannot, we cannot say if we elect the right person that it will save Christendom. We've had two fervent evangelical presidents in my lifetime, Jimmy Carter and George W. Bush, George H.W. Bush, and George W. Bush for that matter, good Christian men, very good Christian men. They didn't save America. We will do the work when we do it what Jeremiah says, which is do good in our country. This is a new book by Natasha Crane, Faithfully Different. The United States in many ways, this is the beastly side where feelings are ultimate guide, happiness is ultimate goal, judging is ultimate sin, and God is the ultimate guess. That's a major narrative in our culture. 
And we as Christians are going to stand against that narrative for sure. So what we're going to do is we're going to believe that America will be blessed as it incorporates God's righteousness. And I believe that's true. And I want to do what I can to work for that. What is a, that righteousness? Well, the historic social righteousness of Christendom has been from the beginning five basic aphorisms. Faithfulness to God, of course but deeply devoted to welfare and the poor and marginalized. Deeply devoted to the welfare of the poor and marginalized. It's been a part of it from the beginning, actually before the beginning of Christianity, because that's part of the Jewish religion as well. A community that's multiracial and multiethnic, from the beginning, always, neither Jew nor Greek is a part of what we say as a Christian society. We're completely committed, the church has always been committed being staunchly pro-life from conception to death. The church was well known for going out and helping sick people when the plagues went through Rome, and that's part of the reason the church grew. The church has always been committed and should be committed to family integrity and sexual faithfulness in marriage and a relationship where husband and wife love each other in a mutual relationship of love and faithfulness. And a fifth point is deeply, deeply committed to a non-retaliatory forgiving ethic for personal offense. Those are the basic maxims of Christian social righteousness. And we at Grace stand for these things strongly, all of them. And what happens too often to take one or two of these and make them front and central. And of course, that's not the way to go. We're tempted to hide our beliefs to avoid being laughed at or canceled. Because if you stand up strongly for Christianity, you're going to have people really, really, really unhappy with you. We're also tempted to accommodate our beliefs to the majority in order to be liked and included. And those are fatal temptations, fatal temptations, both of them. We stand and speak positively for Jesus and who he is when you have an opportunity to do it, no matter where it is, by word and deed. And when I bring this together, I think of this as John Tyson. Syncretism is living only for what's presently available and accessible. Separatism, withdrawal from the culture and waiting for another world, those are the two temptations. But what we are living is we're in exile. We live fully present while longing for another kingdom and embodying it where we can, everywhere we go. So our call all the way through is to be citizens of a countercultural life as sojourners, exiles in our country, using our power to do good in our community. I want to give you an example of this. I want to give you an example of this. There are some people who are working with Food Bank. Can you come up here? I want to have you tell your story a little bit. There are three of you, I think, here, Jose and Elena and Rolando. I don't see anybody moving. (laughs) There we go. There we go. Okay, grab a microphone. I want you guys to tell us what's happening. Because two people who are not here, Fritz and Diane, uh, come on up here, grab a microphone. I want you to tell your story. I want you to tell what's happening here because this is something. Yeah, you can come together here. 
uh, we just want you to say a little bit of what's happening because what's happening here is Diane started going to Dave's Killer Bread and picking up 150 loaves of bread and bring them over here where, now I want you guys to tell what you're doing with all this bread because Elena, I know that you're in the center of this and have been for a long time. And I'm, so you can, yeah, do it through translation. I know your English isn't all that good, but I'm so profoundly grateful that you're here. Because again, this is the multi-ethnic, multi-racial thing we do here at Grace. We love it. Yeah. Que digas, tienes que decir cómo es el proceso de la comida desde que empiezan a traer el pan. ¿Cómo es el proceso de distribuir la comida? Yeah. Hi, my name is Jose Castillo. I started work um, with Comunidad like a few months ago. And yeah. uh, I started out um, participating in serving uh, on the sound system before. And He's back at the sound booth right now. Yeah. yeah. And uh, last year, yes, I missed my job and uh, is to stay home with family. Uh, one of those days, Gabe asked me, hey, we need a, we need a guy serving with a, bring the bread. And yes, I talked with Fris, Fris, my brother Fris, uh, introduced him to, to that uh, serving, and him, yeah. Oh yeah, he's, he's there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're on vacation, yeah, so they can't be here. Yeah, yes, I start a uh, relation with them, and uh, yes, he teach me about what we need to do. Yes, I pick up the bread, um, clacamas, and yes, I bread uh, some part of my father's house, and all the rest, yes, I bring it to here for comunidad, but I don't know, is the part right here on the comunidad, but and, um, yes, I bring it to here, all the rest, the breads, and uh, after that, Elena takes the rest, and he provides for Comunidad. Uh, and he take right here on, at church, and he moved to East Gresham School, and he give it to Comunidad, basically like those families out there. But that's the, some, that's the part, yes, like a work, a serving for Comunidad. Okay, I'm, uh, okay, my name is Rolando Mariano. This is my wife, Elena. And I can tell you a little bit of what I know every uh, week after she um, does her service. is She starts about... Uh, uh, in the afternoon, and uh, she comes here to pick up the bread that he picks up from somewhere else. I don't know too much about it. <laughs> I don't know where he gets it from, but you know all that stuff. But um, then she uh, takes it to the, um, what's the name of the school, Ian? It's Gresham Elementary School. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So then uh, they prepare boxes with food, you know. Uh, the uh, another truck brings over, and so this, then they uh, distribute that food to the people that are, you know, looking for free food. I don't know what else to say, but <laughs> it's kind of how it works. <laughs> so then, uh, 
Uh, and I can tell you this because I hear the story from everything. And I like to say that I'm a good listener, so I don't know <laughs> if I am or not, but you'll know that. Then, um, and then uh, uh, what I can say is my, uh, I support what she does, and because my, uh, our kids attend uh, school uh, since our first kid all the way up to the last one. They all went to the same uh, school district, so it's, uh, we feel we've been uh, blessed with uh, being able to serve the same. Uh, you know, it took us a while, but it's, we're, we're trying. So, uh, yeah. thank you. Yeah. And so, uh, what she does, she, and, uh, I can, if I can go back a little bit, we, she used to go all the way to uh, 33rd Street, somewhere there, uh, to get food and pick it up. And then, before COVID, she picks it up from there, bring it over here, put it in boxes. So sometimes the food was distributed here for the people. So there's at least 50, 70 people or families that came to pick up the food here. So. Now then, back then it was a full day. And uh, I just helped with, make sure the, the truck or the or her car is working properly so she can actually bring a full load of stuff for people. So you do it in your car? Yeah. It's, and how much do you get paid for this? Uh, nothing. Nothing? <laughs> no. How un-American. <laughs> how Jesus-like. No. Yeah, well we don't, we don't get paid like that, but we do get paid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah. Uh, algo más? something else you would like to say? No. Estoy feliz de servir a la comunidad. Gracias a las personas que me dieron la oportunidad de hacerlo. Estoy sirviendo desde ya casi 14 años, sirviendo ahí. Eh, ahorita estamos aquí en la East Gresham a las 4 de la tarde, de 4 a 5, en el número 900 de la calle 5. Y cambia el horario normalmente en el verano, pero es, eh, yo estoy feliz. La verdad, tengo un, un pago envidiable, estoy llena de bendiciones y mi esposo también. Y gracias a Dios, y estoy feliz de servir. Yeah, so she says uh, she's very thankful to be able to help and thankful to the people who give us the opportunity to help. And uh, we also feel very blessed to be able to do this for, you know, to have the bless, blessing from God that we are able to help. Thank you so much. God bless Thank you. Thank you. See, this is just one thing we're doing here at Grace. Nobody told them to do it. They just kind of stepped up and did it. And we got to be a part of that. That's what we're doing about when we say doing good in our society. Worship team coming up here. We've got one other possibility. We've got this serve coming up. August 20 is our community service day. Put on your calendars. That's a Saturday coming up in August. We'll be doing all kinds of things in the community with other churches around. And then another one around is these are children in, these are South Sudanese children in refugee camps in northern Uganda. And we've had connection with them before, and they're in a spot right now where these children 
who are being ministered to by Christians, and these are Christian children, their building has collapsed. And there are children there who are completely forgotten in the entire world, and they're saying, please, could, while you're praying for Ukraine, could you pray for us too? And so we're going to have a chance for you to contribute some money to help these starving children and people in northern Uganda in refugee camps who are forgotten by the world. And my friend Dosa Naziri just texted me and said, when you're praying for Uganda, could you, or when you're praying for Ukraine, could you pray for us here too? So on the giving app, whether you're on the app or on the web page, when you go to the give and you do the pull-down menu, you'll see one possibility of South Sudan. We're going to have it open for two weeks. Anything you throw in here will go directly to the South Sudanese people in northern Uganda in these refugee camps who are forgotten by the entire world, but not by God. Let's sing about Christ. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.